0: Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone. It's really good to be with you. I will get the obvious joke over at the start for anyone who wasn't in my talk yesterday and say that I am not the Kate Middleton who is married to Prince William. Did somebody groan then? No, no, don't be disappointed. Don't go. I once spoke at a youth event where they genuinely thought she was coming. And I literally got on the stage and and there was this, you could see everyone looking, I was like, I haven't even said anything yet and they're already disappointed. It It was not good, anyway. I am, uh, as you've just heard, I'm a psychologist by background director of the Mind and Soul Foundation and also the project lead of Headstrong, which is a project which was birthed during the pandemic as we came out of the first lockdown. Remember the days before we had to number them? They were happier days, weren't they? But uh, birthed out of that, so it's an online space for youth and young adults talking mental and emotional health and well-being. If you're interested in that, we, we are in the youth tent here giving out free postcards and hanging out but you can also grab a postcard at the front here if you want to get one if you're a young youth or young adult yourself or if you have them like lying around at home feel free to come and grab one so what both of those organizations are about is we are passionate about mental and emotional well-being and that's both when things get tricky because we're unwell But it's also about the wider question of what does it mean to live life well? You know, as a psychologist, I sometimes treat people when they're ill, but I would much rather stop them getting ill in the first place. And I'm also a church leader, I'm also a mum. My wish for the people who I'm leading and leading at home as well is not that I wait until something gets really bad and then when they're ill I help them. It's that I can do the things I need to do to equip and enable them to get through the tough stuff that life is thrown at them, to understand things like emotions and their mind and how that stuff works so that when if things start to become problematic they can understand how to manage that stuff and they know some things they can try to get themselves through you know so much of emotional well-being isn't magically managing to stay well your whole life life throws difficult things at us sometimes it pushes us to the limit and that might be tough stuff or it might be good things that we really want to do but it's just hard you know having kids a job that's demanding we've just been through pandemic many people have found their job being more demanding in this season than ever before but that doesn't mean that they don't want to do it So it's about how do we manage that stuff? How do we do life well? How do we not just survive, but even thrive? through tough times. You know, one of the things that so many people say to me when they come to me to talk about issues with stress and anxiety is like, oh yeah, I went to my doctor and and, and they told me I should just do less. And they're like, I don't really know what to do with that because I don't know, should I give up like looking after my kids or caring for my elderly parents or the job that pays the bills and that I love or, or maybe for a lot of people in church life, like a lot of you will be in, the ministry that I absolutely adore that I feel truly passionate about and I feel called to. And, you know, sometimes we just can't do less. Life is tough for a season. So how do we manage that stuff and get by? And what I want to talk about today, therefore, is is kind of specific to pandemic, which I almost feel apologetic for, because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of bored of pandemic. Is anyone else a bit fed up of it? Yeah, yeah. I, d- I definitely, we're done with that. Let's move on. The trouble is we're kind of not done, which is awkward. But so it is specific to pandemic, but it has a wider application for any moments when life throws tough stuff at you. And I want to talk about trauma and how we get through trauma. You know, what do you do when your life's journey throws something at you that you never wanted to be part of it? You know, we all have a plan for how life will go, a little model in our head of where we think we'll be and what we think life will look like but it rarely sticks to the plan, does it? And things happen, redundancies, illness, relationships that break down, things that we never expected to be part of the journey. How do we manage those things? How do you get past them? How do you turn around a story that feels suddenly like it's taken a twist and it's going somewhere that's not positive? You know, trauma psychologically is any experience that causes significant distress or damage, disruption to us or people that we love and care for now that could be physically or practically or emotionally and it's often really dramatic stuff the stuff you really didn't see come in the accidents the trauma violence crime stuff like that it can be something that happens over a longer season of time in your life that's more drawn out particularly if you're caught in an abusive relationship or a difficult situation for one reason or another but by definition, it's about things that are basically outside of your control. It's, it's storms that you find yourself in, and you have to find a way through. And it's worth being aware that in the context of that, It's not just the big stuff that can cause trauma. So in psychology, one thing that we see is something called microaggressions. And what they are is not the big things, the big hits of of violence or, or stuff like that. It's the little things, just the little reminders, the little presses, the little challenges that constantly remind you of this background of challenge that you're in. Now, of course, in pandemic, we've had so many of those. There's a bigger situation that's been really tough. But also, day by day by day, minute by minute, you cannot flipping get away from it because everywhere you go, there's reminders. And a lot of them are emotionally triggering, whether it's just seeing the signs all over the place, telling you what you're not supposed to do. Those moments where you get it wrong, has anybody just got it wrong just because they weren't thinking and then got told off or somebody's been upset and you feel terrible. It's those little things. And research shows us that those microaggressions are in some ways more traumatizing than the big picture event. So whether that's pandemic or if you're dealing with racism or bullying or something like that, those little jibes are actually much more difficult to manage than we expect every time you've turned on the radio during the pandemic, you know, we we hear the media reports, and, and we have to remember that the media feeds off negative stories, basically. They want to tell you stories that trigger anxiety, because anxiety grabs your attention, and it makes you more likely to remember those stories, to retell those stories, to share them with other people. Negative stories spread better than positive ones, and what that means is through a time of challenge like a pandemic every time you turn on the radio you've got microaggression after microaggression after microaggression psychologically speaking And there's another thing to be aware of when we're talking about trauma, because I'm aware that there's a big clinical space. When we hear about trauma, we often think of something called post-traumatic syndrome, which is, uh, it's a recognized condition that people often struggle from if they've experienced significant trauma. And what this is linked to is the way that your mind has a need to process something that you've been through. And there are basically two spaces in your mind where you store information. There's a sort of front of your mind space. So that's your working memory. It's where you keep things that you might need to draw on that, that are imminent, that are regular, that are going on right now. So those are the spaces that your mind keeps coming back to, things that will bubble up to the surface of your awareness much more frequently because they're in that active space. But then you also have another part of your memory, which is a bit like the sort of long-term loan section of the library. I started out life as a medical student, and and our big medical library had this amazing long-term loan section. And and if you needed to get something from it, they gave you a key, and you went down these these flight after flight of steps, like, underground, and it was very dark and very dusty, and I was always terrified someone would not realize I was there and shut me in. So I would go in and, like, scuttle in, grab the book and scuttle out. But your long-term memory is a bit like that. Your brain stores things away that... That, that are done with, that are past, that you've processed and, and you're finished with, but, but are still part of your story. So they're not so regular. They're not things that bubble to the top of your mind. You could still access those memories if you need to, but it's a different kind of space. And the process of moving something from the front to the long term is part of the processing job of managing and getting through trauma. And what that requires is for your brain to ponder what's happened, for you to talk it out. We're going to talk a little bit more about how that happens. The problem is that your mind often uses a lot of powerful emotions to to sort of focus your attention on just how important and significant what happened was to you. And sometimes people get caught in like a battle with their own brain because your brain is trying to grab your attention and, and bring things to the surface. So people will experience something called flashbacks where something in the present moment brings their mind back to something traumatic that happened to them in in a way that feels like it's happening again in the present day. And that's incredibly traumatic and emotionally difficult and sometimes just downright inconvenient if you're just trying to do your shopping or go to work or whatever it is is that you're trying to do. And if, if you're struggling to process or to manage or even just to understand something that happened to you, you can get stuck in that cycle which is, in essence, what post-traumatic stress is about. Now, in terms of pandemic, what we've got to recognise is that although you might, I mean, some of you might, frankly, be sitting there thinking, I don't really get why we're all banging on about trauma. Like, surely we just need to get over it and get a grip. It's not been that bad. But the interesting thing about trauma is that it's, it's about the foundations that you build your life on. So the things that you have understood about yourself and about the world and about your relationships that you always assumed were true and you could depend on. And, and the pandemic has challenged so many of those things in quite a unique way. Whether it's just things that you previously understood about your own security, your own health, Or whether it's wider things like about your relationships, people you always thought would be there for you, but you have been separated from for over a year now. Whether it's about wider questions of control and and how do you keep your family safe, if you've seen particularly your kids or elderly relatives suffering and struggling because of something that you can do nothing about, Those things have been traumatic for us because they've challenged some of the foundations that we build life on. And so we need to understand that, you know, even in any circumstance, something can be very traumatic for one person, but not a big deal at all for someone else. So if you are sat here this morning and you're thinking, I, I just feel like a bit, of a, a bit of an idiot because I'm really struggling. I, I feel like I'm absolutely emotionally sh- just, it's like the, the ground has fallen away beneath me, but surely I just need to get a grip and get on with it. What's wrong with me? I say to you, some of these things are psychologically more traumatic than we realize. And so you or someone you love or people in your church or people at work, maybe in a space where they're really struggling with this, And sometimes we need to treat ourselves or other people with compassion because things feel different depending on your circumstance. So I want to tell you three things about the journey through trauma that will help us to understand it and hopefully help us to work out for each of us individually and maybe for other people who we're supporting and caring for What do I need to do? What do they need to do to to get through this? You know, this is a really interesting moment because a lot of people thought coming out of pandemic would be easy. It would all be over. We go back to normal. We would feel more ourselves again. And I'm hearing from a lot of people right now who are like, "Okay, something's really wrong because I'm actually not. In fact, I think I'm finding this harder than I did the initial part of the pandemic. So how do you get through this? If you're thinking, when on earth will I feel better? When will things feel better? Never mind the wider context of what may or may not be coming. It's hard to know, isn't it, whether we're at the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end right now. Hopefully, hopefully we're in a good, spe- good space now. But aside from that, if you're thinking about your own journey or someone you're caring for, how do you do that well? So I wanna put number one up if I can. Yeah, yeah, you're ahead of me there. Uh, So if we start with number one, the first stage of coping and processing with trauma is something most people just call the shock phase. So you're going about your everyday life and out of the blue, something happens. You know, I don't know about anyone else, but pandemic took me totally by surprise. And and it's weird because I'm the sort of person, I always like to be prepared. I always sort of look ahead and see things that are coming. And I did not see pandemic coming at all. I was listening the other day to uh, a a preach that one of my mates did in in the church that he works at. Because it was a very good preach and I wanted to remember it. And um, and, and I I realized it was like a week before everything just went crazy. and, And we didn't even mention it. It's so weird how much we didn't see the biggest change that's ever hit our lives come in. So the first stage is often about shock and it's about your brain literally reeling like what has happened how can this be i don't and there's there's practical challenges depending on what's happened and it may be the acute stress of an accident or or a moment where you've literally got to get yourself to safety or it might be psychologically that your brain is just like whoa i cannot cope with this so much has just changed what's this thing that's hit me you know you you've just had a phone call at the blue and someone's died unexpectedly or a relationship's fallen apart, sometimes in our heads we can be hit as hard as we can by something that's physically violent and distressing. And basically in the shock phase, your brain's need and instinct is to find safety again. Everything in your mind goes into this mode where you're like, Get somewhere safe. Get away, withdraw. Find somewhere that's quiet, that's calm, that's more predictable. Get to somewhere safe. And it's interesting, though, in this acute phase, you know, people always think that human beings in crisis, if it's a time of collective crisis, like the one we've been through, you know if you if you particularly if you're a big fan of like the zombie movies or the end of the world scenario movies everybody thinks that human beings will basically turn on each other and it's all going to go very badly psychology doesn't doesn't say that actually on the whole as human beings we pull together pretty well in times of acute crisis when we're in this season because everybody your brains are all in a kind of head down just deal with things now you can think about it later mode so people pull together quite well people are very practical there's there's a big adrenaline rush in a time of acute crisis and some people actually in an odd way really thrive off it do you remember in the first lockdown some people were like super excited do you remember that i i was not super excited just so you know but there were people who were and there was what i call the positivity patrol anybody come across any of them on media like oh we've all just got to look on the bright side and I'm like I am going to kill you if I run across you in the street but luckily for you we're on lockdown so I won't but some people do experience it almost as a positive rush in that early phase so they're able to pull together but there are some challenges of being in that emergency zone in your brain one of the things that your mind does is it suppresses your emotions really powerfully so you find yourself very head down get on with it quite thinking very practical just just feeling like you've got to manage your emotions and not really give them headspace or space to be expressed Your brain also literally turns down your capacity to think in complex ways, particularly as an acute moment of stress becomes a longer season of crisis because you get really tired. We know that, don't we? Because we are all probably, I think I can say all, most of us, pretty shattered still coming out of this time of extended crisis. So the more tired you get, the more your mind has to go into this emergency mode where you don't really think clearly. You also don't process things in the way that you normally would. One of the things that, as a psychologist, I found myself talking about the most at the beginning of this year was something called cognitive fatigue. And cognitive fatigue is what happens to your brain when basically, if you think of like a horse race, you know how they whip them to get them to go faster. It's like you've been doing that to your brain through an extended season of crisis. And your mind just gets more and more and more tired. And eventually, you just find that no matter how hard you try, there are some things that become really hard, like concentrating, like motivating yourself to do something. You know, getting in the zone when you're working or doing something you normally love. Psychologists call that flow when you're absolutely in the zone loving it. That becomes really hard when your brain is fatigued. Little things. There's a thing called tip of the tongue syndrome. That's when you're trying to think of a word and you just can't think of it. Anybody had that happen to them? The, the, yeah, the rates of tip-of-the-tongue syndrome shot up at the beginning of this year in the UK. Psychologists were so excited because that's just the sort of people we are. But it was fascinating because what's happening is we were looking at what happens when you kind of have an en masse experiment in cognitive fatigue, and it becomes really hard to do simple things like think of a word. I remember on one of my, when I was doing one of my online shopping things, I couldn't think of the word for, for, um, for courgette and I was saying to my husband and my kids I was like oh come on it's long and it's green you know and they were just like please stop shouting it's not our fault that you can't remember the word for this vegetable anyway I got there in the end So as stress increases and fatigue increases, some of the impacts of those things also increase. You'll see things like binary thinking, which I talked about yesterday. That's when your brain starts to try to simplify the world because it's simpler for your exhausted mind. So it sees everything as either one thing or another. So a situation is either good or bad. Um, You are either succeeding or you're failing. Somebody is either with you or against you. It's that clear-cut you lose the ability to see the gray and the problem is the reality of life is that most of life is gray so if you force it into binary spaces and particularly if your brain is struggling and you're finding life hard you tend to assume the more negative ones so when you're in this space and you're fatigued and a crisis has gone on longer than you thought it would, you can be at risk of starting to feel, see the world through very negative glasses. You're very pessimistic. You feel like everything's going wrong. You're a failure. The whole of your life is a disaster. Everyone's against you. You'll jump into negative conclusions about all sorts of stuff. It's probably not as bad as it feels in those moments, but your brain has become unreliable to you. We don't always act the way that we hope in crisis. And and I wanna say to you that that's not just okay, that is human. When something difficult happens, particularly the more shocking and unexpected and distressing it is, the more your mind is pushed into this emergency shock zone. And so much of how we manage our own personal responses in that moment is about compassion and kindness and just letting yourself do what you need to do. For those of you who are uh, church people, you know, we we can look at some of the stories of what the disciples went through in the days after Jesus was arrested and then questioned and of course eventually put to death. That was a massive trauma for them. And, And one person whose story is really interesting is Peter. So Peter was one of the disciples, if you don't know the story, he was one of the followers of Jesus. He was like one of the, closest ones really to Jesus he was often shouting things out and talking to Jesus and they were bouncing stuff around together and there's this amazing powerful story in Mark 14 and, and earlier in Mark's gospel we hear Peter t- Jesus is trying to warn the disciples that that something really difficult is coming because they don't really get it And and Peter is saying, he just can't cope with it because Jesus is saying, you're basically all going to run away and leave me. You're going to be scattered because it's going to be such a a traumatic moment. And Peter's like, no way. I would die with you if I had to. I would go to prison for you. So we can see Peter's desire for the person he wanted to be was, was a pretty high bar. But we read this poignant story in Mark 14 when Jesus is arrested. And at first, Peter does really well, even in his shock and horror and disbelief of what's happening. He kind of follows Jesus as he's taken away to be questioned. But but the story tells us he stays at a very safe distance. And then he sort of hangs around in the courtyard, waiting, probably hoping to find out what's happening. None of the other disciples do, so he's doing pretty well. But then what happens is people start recognizing him. And and maybe he's withdrawn into his safe headspace. He's fine until people start coming and talking to him and saying, hey, you were with him. I recognize you. And what happens is that exactly as Jesus told him, he denies having had anything to do with it. And there's this awful moment where he realizes what he's done. And, And in one of the accounts, it says that he looks across and Jesus looks at him. And there's this moment where he just realizes and, and he's devastated. And, and the, the Greek language says that, that he cries. And it's not just like delicate mantis. It's like proper sobbing. He is absolutely destroyed by this. And it says he leaves and runs. And and again, the language that used shows that he's not just getting out of the space. He thinks he's out of the game. He thinks he has failed. He thinks it is all over. He has done something that's just so basically not what he hoped that surely that's it. It isn't because actually how you respond when trauma hits is just a human thing. We have to be kind and be fair to ourselves in those moments. So if that's something you've experienced, I want to say to you, it's okay. Go easy on yourself. Recognize that if your world has been shaken, everything in your instinct will be about finding safety for you and the people you love. Maybe it's not you who you need to go easy on, maybe it's someone else. The other thing that happens therefore sometimes in collective trauma is that people we love and we know react in those ways that we didn't expect. Maybe you know someone who when lockdown happened, when pandemic happened, they just disappeared. And it was suddenly like the only thing that mattered to them was their own family. And you're like, what about me? Hey, remember me? Sometimes we need to go easy on other people too because when trauma happens, we react in a way that perhaps we wouldn't have wanted to. But it's about your basic instincts in your mind. And the thing is, the longer that initial trauma, the crisis goes on, the harder this gets. Remember I said that your brain suppresses emotions. That's that's basically a bit like trying to keep a beach ball under the water in the pool. I mean, remember the days when we used to go on holiday and like be in swimming pools? Yeah. So if you imagine that you're trying to hold down a beach ball. At first, it's okay. But if you don't pay full attention to that, it's going to like pop up somewhere where you least expected it to and that's what happens emotions start to bubble up to the surface or just that as as time goes on those emotions stack up and it's a bit like playing emotional whack-a-mole you know something comes up you're like oh no I'm sorry bang I can't cope with that right now I'm still in acute crisis or here's another one bang no I can't deal with that or just there'll be times when you just feel like you're ambushed You thought you were dealing with things quite well and then you drop your favorite mug and it's like the whole world has ended. And everybody, many people in this room will have had moments like that. Again, where you've reacted in ways that you never thought you'd see yourself react. Go easy on yourself. What it means is that a lot of these emotions are much nearer to the surface than we're used to, so there will be people here who've had to deal with anxiety in a way they've never experienced it before. Maybe who have suffered with panic attacks, which is often a way that anxiety bubbles up to the surface if you're trying your hardest to ignore it. Maybe you've just found your tolerance has been super low because if your stress level is high, you just don't have the bandwidth to cope with the kind of minor irritations that normally Normally, wouldn't be a big deal so I'm sorry but if my husband and son leave one more random sock on the floor in a strange place in my house I may completely lose my sanity now that normally doesn't bother me maybe it should bother me more I don't really know why they do it it's just a genetic thing but in pandemic in times of crisis what we find is that those things become really hard to cope with And of course, what you need is to be able to move on to stage two, which is the processing stage where you can start to to, to do the cognitive brain work that you need to do to understand, to work through everything that's happened, to start the process of putting it behind you. But you can only move on to that stage when two things have happened. And the first really is that there's a sense that that the crisis is over. Now that's been really challenging therefore in the context of pandemic because what's happened is that again and again and again, we think it's over and then something happens and and we're right back in it. So that was a classic story just under a year ago when we were in the autumn. And I guess having had the summer, a lot of us hoped that maybe it was basically done. And then what we actually found ourselves was probably in the most challenging stage of the whole season. So if something happens that, that, kind of pushes, that kind of pushes you back into crisis, your brain will revert to stage one shock. And again, you'll find it very difficult to do some of that processing and thinking things through. And the key here really is, is not to rush it. You know, in our modern world, we're much better about talking about emotional health and emotions and therapy and stuff like that, which is brilliant. But what that means is that when something happens, we tend to get an immediate message which is like you need to go see a therapist, you need to talk about it, you need to process it. And, and you do eventually, but, but only when you've given your brain a chance to get out of the shock, only when you feel like you're in a safe space, when you feel like you've had a chance to just restore and recharge a little bit. So we need to not rush things. Some of the things that later on in a journey we might say were symptoms of post-traumatic reaction actually are quite normal in the early days after a trauma so I've worked with many people who've come to me after something like a car accident or a violent moment or something that's that's traumatized them and they are terrified because they're like I think I've got PTSD and I'm like actually where you are now this would be considered a normal healthy response something horrendous has happened to you and your brain is reeling with it trying to deal with it it's normal to be a bit shaken at first so give yourself time don't push it if you feel like you're still in shock you might not be ready yet to process and be aware that if you're re-traumatized you might get pushed back into that shock season. So those little microaggressions which I talked about are difficult because your brain gets quite twitchy in the early days of stage two. It doesn't take much. It's, it's kind of like you were just coming out and you think it's okay and then something happens and your brain is like, right, that's it. No, I'm going back in. It's not safe. It doesn't take a lot to push you back into that very protective space again. Hopefully, as things settle down and people start to feel more confident, more and more people will find themselves in this space. But it might take time. And the other thing we need to recognize about processing trauma is that everybody is different. So you might have had a fairly easy run of pandemic. And remember, it's not just about practical stuff, like how easy does it look from the outside? It's about those foundations. So maybe for you, it didn't challenge too many. It was a bit rubbish, a bit difficult, a bit tedious at times, but basically you're just glad it's all over and now you feel pretty much back to normal. Some of your friends or family could be in a space where actually this has been much more traumatic for them. Maybe for reasons that you don't even know. You may have colleagues or friends whose stories you don't know who for reasons of of their past or stuff like that or their present situation have actually got a, a much bigger challenge of processing to do. And so everyone goes into this season at different stages and everybody's journey through processing is different. So we need to be really deliberately empathetic to try and hold our frustration if we're seeing responses from people that, that to us feel like they're overdramatic or unnecessary, you know, like we're past all that now, get over it. Not everybody is past it. And that's a human reaction. You can't rush it. So some people will need more help with this than others. It's so important that people are well supported in this stage, so what do you do to process? That's what people are saying to me now. They're like, right, Kate, I need to get through this. I need to figure it out. I need to get back to normal. What do I do? So there's two things that you need to do. And the first one is that the, the brain work. And processing is basically like playing thought tennis. Because what you need to do is get the thoughts moving around your brain to help it to do the work it needs to do so that then it can feel like it can let go of everything that happened, put it in that long-term storage space and you can then move on this is often the most challenging part of a journey though you know when you have to try and integrate something that happened to you into your life story so many people get stuck at the stage of I don't want this to be part of my story it was just it was so horrendous and processing is about journeying from that space to a space where you can say yeah this happened and it was really tough and it really hit me but and it 's a story that then moves on to another chapter. So thought, tennis, think about getting those thoughts bouncing around. I love the story those of you who are church people, again, of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So this is after Jesus has died. There's this story in the Gospels where these two guys who were disciples of his, they're going away. they're walking away from Jerusalem. Basically, they're in shock. They're going home. They're going back to the last place that was safe. They're like, I'm out of here. Their brains are in that shock phase. But we know that they're starting to get into processing because as they're walking, they're talking to each other about everything that happened. And as the story goes, Jesus turns up with them. They don't recognize him, and he joins in the conversation. And and what he says to them at first, it it could sound quite rude, but but I love the psychology of it. He basically says, why are you being so stupid? And and literally what he says is, your brains aren't turning properly. So what he's saying to them is, you're still in this shock phase. You're not thinking clearly. And he helps them to do the processing they need to do. And, And I love the fact that the Greek word that's used to describe the conversation and literally means that, that words bounce back and forth between them and Jesus. It is exactly what I think of as a psychologist when I think of processing. And you also see something else that's so important as part of those conversations and that processing, which is the expression of some of the emotion that has been held down for so long. You've got so used to holding it down, some of you, that you need to intentionally, practically work out how you're going to release some of that and share it, get it out. And what we see with these two disciples is them starting to share. They say, we had hoped. We had hoped things would go this way, but actually what happened was this. It was awful. And that's an important part of processing. So there's basically three ways you can play thought tennis. And you can think back, if maybe some of you still play tennis now, but you can think about how you would play tennis in real life. So first of all, you can do it on your own. I don't know if anybody else like me used to hit a ball against the garage door a lot when they were a kid. So there's ways that you can bounce your own thoughts back and forth. You can create space to think. You can go for long walks. You can journal. You can listen to podcasts. You can work through a self-help book. You can take times to pray and meditate. There's stuff you can do on your own. The second way though, is, is to have a knockabout with good friends. Just a casual, fun thing. and that is so powerful. You know, in processing, everybody's like, "Oh, you need therapy. Some people may do, but actually the value in those relaxed moments of just bouncing thoughts around like, man, that was rubbish. What did you find hardest about the second lockdown? God, I remember that day when this happened. You know, those sort of late nights sitting around a barbecue just chatting with people who you feel get you. You feel like you connect with them. You feel safe with them. Because there's no pressure then. So it helps you process stuff that may actually be quite intense because you don't feel under any pressure and because you're supported by the fact you're not alone in those moments. So don't don't write those things off. They can be incredibly valuable. And if, if you're the friend to someone who's really struggling with this, so many people feel under pressure. If someone starts sharing, they're like, oh, flip. Like, I really, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to say. I can't make this all better. Like, oh, I'm supposed to say something really clever or or say a prayer that just makes it all better. You don't. All you have to do is be there for them to bounce thoughts back with. Ask them questions like, man, that sounds really rubbish. How did you manage that? How did that make you feel? You know, just give them space to play thought tennis with you. You're not supposed to be the therapist. You're just supposed to create safe spaces where they can have those conversations. Conversations. It's so powerful. But sometimes you do need the third way of playing tennis, which is with a coach. You know, sometimes the way that you've been playing has given you an injury, it's not good for you, it's getting you by, but you're getting like a repetitive strain, you know, like tennis elbow, the psychological equivalent, or you're just exhausted. You need someone to help you, someone to, to feed you balls so you can knock them back, someone who will look at how you're managing this and help take you through the journey. This is so important if you're really struggling with processing what's happened either with just understanding why you feel so just shocked by it all or by emotions that are really powerful and frightening you're just struggling you feel like you can't move on a lot of people coming out of pandemic are struggling with that in the the realm of grief and bereavement because in the moment that it happened they couldn't do the normal processing because we were in crisis and because of course we couldn't have funerals you couldn't be with family you couldn't hug so a lot of people are now finding it really hard as they're coming back to normal life and there's the this massive thing that they've not dealt with. So, if you're struggling, seeing a therapist for some really safe space, well bounded expert direction on how to do this can be very important and very powerful, because processing can can change everything. In the the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, when they've understood better. They they actually turn around and they go back. They feel ready to go back. Some of us don't feel ready to go back yet. And and that's becoming increasingly tricky because actually normal life is resuming. You know, your boss is expecting you in the office. You're supposed to be getting back to doing normal stuff, but you don't feel ready yet. If you're feeling that pressure, think about how can you find some spaces to do this? The second thing that's important in the processing stage, though, and that I'm having a lot of conversations with people about at the moment, is rest because we are still shattered we are still, and and you're caught between these two things because your brain desperately wants to get back to normal life, but also your brain is exhausted. So you're like, woohoo, let's go to a party. And then like 10 minutes in, you're like, man, I'm shattered. I wish all these people would just go away. And and that's hard, it's confusing. But, but it's just because your brain's really tired. It will get better, I promise you. You will start to feel back to your normal self. But if you're thinking, how do I rest effectively? Like, I'm speaking to a lot of people who work in like, NHS roles, lots of teachers or schools leadership team folk who are like, right, Kate, I've got like maybe two to three weeks max and I need to completely reboot my entire brain By the 1st of September, what do I do? So if you're in that space, think about how to rest effectively. Again, the biblical stories that tell us how we were designed can help us so much with this. So rest is an essential part of the rhythm and routine that we're designed to live by. In fact, some of the language in the Bible tells us that rest isn't like this optional extra thing you do after you've worked hard. It is finishing the work. So you haven't finished the work until you've rested on the end. It completes the cycle. Just like when God made the world, he worked for six days and rested for seven. The cycle is seven days and you're not done until you've finished it off by resting. The Hebrew word that's used when God first gives the commandment for Sabbath literally means lie down. So yes, it's about setting time apart for prayer and with God, but it's also about physically just resting. But interestingly, there's this moment a bit later in Exodus when God is talking to his people about times that are unusually busy and demanding. And he's talking in the context of harvest because he's talking to a very agricultural people at the time but we could apply that to when you've just come out of a pandemic and it, he's reminding them of that commandment to rest of the rhythm they're designed to live by but interestingly in that moment he used, there's a different hebrew word that's used and literally that word means one thing it means stop It's it's almost a legal term. It means desist. It's like everything that has been relentless for you in that season needs to stop. So I want to ask you, what is it for you to really rest effectively that needs to stop? What has been relentless for you through the pandemic? Because some of that may be classic busyness. Some of our trauma has been the world going crazy, our jobs having changed, the demand on us having shot up. But for some people, the thing that's been most difficult has been relentless loneliness, isolation, quiet boredom if you've been on furlough for over a year that is really emotionally challenging for your brain so maybe for some of you what needs to stop is those things to rest effectively you need to find some mates you can go away with so that you just get a few days off having to think how can I connect with another real human being because that's what's been toughest for you so ask yourself what needs to stop you know Those of you who were in my seminar yesterday, we were talking about this moment in the life of Jesus and the disciples when they hear that one of their friends, John the Baptist, has been killed, he's been murdered. And and Jesus' instinctive, immediate response to that is to say, we need to go somewhere quiet. Because Jesus is such an exciting example for a psychologist. This This is God in the human brain and body that he designed. And he knows You need space to process, you need quiet space, but you also need to to just get some rest, not be so exhausted. So think about how you're gonna play thought tennis, but also think about how you're gonna rest and find some quiet to do it in. Because of course what we're trying to get to is stage three, which is consolidation or what most people call it these days, closure. It's that space where you feel like, you're, you're looking back on something that happened because you are now beyond it and and closure is a great place to get to but there's some difficult stuff that has to happen on the way you know acceptance forgiving yourself, forgiving other people, letting go of some tough stuff that happened, having to say like, okay, I accept that that did happen, but and I'm gonna move on. And literally at a brain level, that's like new connections that need to form in your mind, old ones that need to be pruned and adapted. It's, it's literal cognitive work. So you need to create the space for it to happen, whether that's safe therapeutic space if you're finding it really tough. And and there are techniques that, that can be used to help you do that without it being too traumatic and distressing. Or just plenty of time talking, sharing, mulling it over with your friends. To do that literal work You can't rush it and you're not failing or being weak. If you can't just click your fingers and just get over it just like that, sometimes there's more that your mind needs to do to understand what has happened. And and getting through trauma is not just a one-way process of growth, you know, you start down here and then gradually things get better and things get better. It's, it's a messy one, it's back and forth, it's up and down, it's like you were doing really well and then something happens and it really upsets you and you feel like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm right back at square one. You know, sometimes it's a bit, I don't know how many of you had a long car journey to get here, it took me eight hours to get here the other day. When you're on a very long journey, you, you can go past a point which looks exactly the same as a point you passed quite a long time ago, And it might feel like you've gone nowhere, but it's just that along the way, you do revisit things that look and feel quite similar. So what we have to do is be reassured to to kind of allow the process to happen instead of fighting with it. And, And fight with our instinct to feel fearful, to feel those moments of like, will I ever get past this? Will I ever go back to the person I was? Will I ever feel normal again? You will but it might take some time, it might take some support, it might even take some treatment. So we have to go through those things gradually and we have to recognize some of the things that need to happen. So one thing that's happened particularly through pandemic is that people have become very disconnected. Our different journeys through have placed distance between us on top of the distance that has been there physically and practically. And, and when you've become disconnected from people, part of the journey of closure and of working through a crisis is to find ways to reconnect, to rejoin those relationships. You know, it's interesting the impact of all of this on our relationships. There's some fascinating psychology about how friendships work. But basically what happened in pandemic was something that's being called friendship funneling. Because when you're in acute crisis and it's gone on for that long, you basically revert to the most essential people in your life. And and to be honest, if you've got kids or people dependent on you, that might just be those people because you don't have energy to deal with anyone else. And so that can mean that all your other friendships and connections for a season just get lost. You don't have the emotional capacity to manage them or the energy to keep them up, particularly when staying in contact with people is hard because you can't just pop round for a cup of tea. So we need to find ways to reconnect as part of our closure coming out of pandemic. So there's this beautiful moment in Acts 2 If you think about that journey for the disciples through their trauma, when they are all back together and everything that they've been through, it's really interesting. If you look at the story of of how Jesus helps them through it, he appears to different groups of people in different ways. You know, those two guys on the road, he walks with them. Some of the others, he catches fish and cooks them dinner and they chat over a barbecue. Everyone's in different ways. Poor old Thomas, who's got a bit of a bad rep for this, but he has to put his fingers in the wounds or or at least have the opportunity. There's a sense of, I need to see it to believe it. And Jesus is like, fine, if that's what you need, because every journey is different. But there's this moment when they come together again, and they've all journeyed through their different ways and now they're back, they're all able to reconnect. And they're up in the room of this house and they're praying, and we can tell they're in a better place because they're thinking, what needs to be done now? And they're thinking, yeah, we've got to replace Judas, who's one of the disciples who's left. And so they, they, they're thinking really practically, what do they need to do to move on? What do they need to do? What's life going to look like in this next season? Maybe some of you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm about ready to start to do that. And what we need to do as part of consolidation is find those moments when we can do that. Reconnect with people. Share and start to think practically. What's it going to mean to carry on to move on to this next space? to celebrate and mark what we've achieved in coming through this. So we have to be sensitive about that because you don't want to be like first full day back at work, you throw a party, and actually it turns out that a significant number of the people are just totally freaked out at the thought of having to come back into a space with other people. That that would be insensitive, but we've got to think, how can we mark some of these moments really well and hold the differences of what everyone's been through while celebrating what they've achieved, because this has been tough, and you've done amazing, whatever it's looked like for you. And we see, of course, in act two, Peter. Remember Peter? The guy who sobbed, who counted himself out when he was traumatized, who thought it was all over. Turns out success isn't about never failing. It's about what you do when life has knocked you down, to get yourself back up? How do you carry on? And that's what Peter does. He's worked through what happened to him. And and we can see a very different Peter standing there in Acts 2. You know, some of you are thinking, will I ever get back to, to the person I was before pandemic? Maybe you won't, but maybe some of the ways it changed you will release a new potential and possibility in you. Maybe there's ways that you'll have grown or understood more things about yourself, your relationships, your relationship with God coming out of this. Let me just show you this passage. This is um, a passage from Romans 5. It's a guy called Paul who was one of the early early disciples. He, He wasn't a disciple at the time of Jesus' death, but he journeyed around talking about what happened and he went through a lot of tough stuff. And this is him writing about what he's come to learn through his own experience of trauma. He says, even in times of trouble, we know that our pressures will develop in us endurance and that endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. Sometimes, when we're forced to endure something that's really rubbish because it just happened to us, and and life can sometimes be like that, doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Sometimes rough stuff just happens. But in those moments when we have to dig deep, we have to explore ourselves, we have to do hard work, sometimes what we release is actually potential. You know, we heard an awful lot in the first stages of the pandemic about the the generation who went through the Second World War, didn't we? Because it was like, that's the nearest story we can can draw some parallels with to what we're going through now. And and what you see of that generation is, is people who suffered and struggled and hit some incredibly tough times but who on the whole were not destroyed by what happened. In fact, many of them developed skills of resourcefulness and flexibility and emotional resilience that meant that they did amazing things. They saw the world differently. So let me end there. If you or someone in your household, if you've got youth, teens, young adults who are going through tough stuff, remember that doesn't have to be the end of your story. Remember the things that you see in the media are the negative stories, but there is the possibility for something to grow out of your journey through trauma, which is surprisingly about finding possibility and potential even in the midst of pressure and pain. It's about learning how to hold hope and good stuff through tough times. And those are incredibly valuable skills to learn. So let me just pop the, you'll see on the screen there, details of the Mind and Soul Foundation. I've been putting up a a little video thought every week through pandemic, which is on our YouTube channel. That's at Mind and Soul UK. you can check that out. There are loads more articles. Some of this stuff that I've talked about today in more detail, you'll see more in coming weeks too. So do check that stuff out. But for the time being, I'm going to let you go. If you want to come and chat to me, I'm around for five or ten minutes now. So please do come and say hi. But have a great rest of the day and enjoy the rest of Creation Fest. Take care.